Before the existence of written records, humans systematized combat. From prehistory and into the modern day, martial arts have been a part of the fabric of culture and civilization. Whether as a means of self-protection or to wage war, or to compete, or to preserve a tradition, or to touch personal greatness, these codified methods push us to ask questions, to explore, to express, to test, and to tell stories. This is Jamie Club's podcast, the official podcast of Club Chimera Martial Art, where we take the path of the vagabond warrior to find knowledge and inspiration from people, events, and ideas. If you are interested in where to follow Jamie Club and Club Chimera products and services, please wait until the end of the show. In the meantime, if you think this product is worth the price of a cup of coffee, please click on Support the Show in this episode's show notes. Trying out new ways of using your body in handling various situations breaks you free from old ways of thinking and being. All that is human must retrograde if it does not advance. A lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. We see in order to move. We move in order to see. Falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. The primary and most beautiful of nature's qualities is motion. Everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. A rolling stone gathers no moss. Eppure si muove. And yet, it moves. We're all islands, shouting lies to each other, across seas of misunderstanding. Trying out new ways all of that is your human. body. A lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. The primary and most beautiful of nature's qualities Everyone is entitled to his own motion, but not to his own fault. A rolling stone gathers And yet, we all will move. There's a wonderful irony in the idea that so many historical quotes about the virtue of the truth are often taken from stories that are probably apocryphal or misattributed. Mark Twain is often credited with saying, a lie can travel around the world and back again while the truth is lacing up its boots. But this phrase has since been traced back through several mutations to Jonathan Swift two centuries earlier with his, falsehood flies and the truth comes limping after it. The great Italian physicist, astronomer and engineer Galileo Galilei, in 1633 at some point after his sentencing on the 22nd of June, allegedly uttered one quote I've always enjoyed. Galileo had been put on trial by the Inquisition for undermining the Catholic Church's view that all heavenly bodies rotated around the Earth. He presented the heliocentric theory that had been concluded independently by various astronomers over the centuries, from Philolaus and Hicetus of the 5th century BCE to the 15th century Polish polymath Nicholas Copernicus. However, Galileo had taken matters a step further when he viewed the evidence through the newly invented telescope and published his findings in 1610. Contrary to popular belief, Galileo remained a close friend of the inner clergy of the Catholic Church and they did not debate him on his theories publicly over the next 20 years. Instead, Cardinal Bellarmine had a quiet word with him in 1616 and he'd agreed not to promote his conclusion. His real great enemy was the many scientists in the universities 
who supported the prevailing Aristotelian view that the Earth was the centre of the universe. When Galileo published his Dialogue on the Two Great World Systems in 1632, he had done so to diplomatically demonstrate the two opposing theories rather than just arguing for his own. Galileo was a devout Catholic and had made the argument that the scriptures did not contradict his theory. However, his growing army of academic rivals forced the Inquisition's hand by arguing Galileo's latest work impudently challenged the Catholic Church. Galileo was never formally charged with heresy, but he was imprisoned at the Inquisition's pleasure. This lifetime confinement was commuted to the day after his sentence to house arrest. Galileo was also forced to recant his theory. And so the story goes that after publicly declaring he was wrong and the church was right, Galileo muttered under his breath, and yet it moves. The source of Galileo making this final act of defiance supposedly came from a portrait of the great scientist in his dark cell. The words, e per si muove, Italian for, and yet it moves, is written in the painting that has been attributed to the great 17th century Spanish Baroque artist Bartolome Esteban Murillo. However, the consensus of artistic opinion is that the work was more likely a copy of Eugene van der Meldegem's 19th century work. The first confirmed attribution of Galileo making a defiant statement against his recantation was in Giuseppe Baretti's The Italian Library over a hundred years after Galileo's death. Baretti has Galileo looking up at the sky and stamping his foot dramatically with the words, Still it moves. Lies travel, and quotes about lies travel too, as do possibly misattributed quotes about the nature of movement. Having been descended from two different types of travelling people, I'm intrigued by the idea of travelling storytellers and the way their tall tales evolve over time and distance. Across the martial arts world, a great lie is regularly repeated. It's a lie that has possibly been around since the earliest days combative practice was formalised. The lie is sneaky and treacherous in the intuitive way it slips into our teaching and training. What is this falsehood? Imagine you're in a martial arts lesson. You face your partner and on an agreed signal they attack you. This might be a formalised straight punch as in one step sparring. Alternatively, it might be a lunging stab. Maybe it's a grab of some description. What is the problem here? Well, this time, it isn't the reactionary nature of many martial arts classes. It's not distance either, which usually goes hand in hand with this legitimate concern. Let's be straight about this. There's a place for reaction training, and ranges dictate it. Context, after all, is everything. So what is it? Am I just criticising what Bruce Lee called the classical mess? No, this is not a criticism of traditional martial arts in the typical sense, although we might call it an instinctive or an inherited natural tradition. Here's another clue. Picture yourself in a modern combatives or reality-based self-defence class. You're working on your preemptive strike. The focus mitt holder preps you with pre-fight verbal. Perhaps you're training your trigger words, the phrase you use to disarm your antagonist before throwing that first strike. You hit the target with your best shot. It could be a rear straight, a palm heel, a power slap or a hook. An elbow strike always gives the satisfying leaden thump. The pad holder remains still. You go on training these powerful man stoppers and your pad holder never flinches. No Charlie Browning here. The target remains firm as you go through the theatre of counter-attacking and intended assault, training a few simple techniques and a few support tools. What could possibly be wrong? 
Visualise standing in rows with your fellow martial arts students. Let's say, for argument's sake, it's a modern boxing gym. The air is thick with the smell of hard training, stale sweat barely covered by the various cleaning agents, as well as camphor and menthol. Muay Thai crews also rent space, as do MMA fighters, who need to work on their stand-up ranges. The walls are decorated with boxing matches of the past and local champions. This gym turns out fighters and also teaches fitness classes. You're in a beginner lesson designed for a broad clientele. The coach has you repeat the basic punches, jabs, crosses, hooks and uppercuts. He builds these into combinations and shows you variations. All the time you stay on your spot, working within your private space. As the lessons progress, you will move along metaphorical tram lines backwards and forwards, layering on the punches. You will partner up and hit pads, where you will both work on the spot or go up and down these tram lines. Have you spotted the problem? In 1999, a science fiction action movie called The Matrix kick-started a franchise and made a tremendous impact on popular culture. Just when it appeared that John Woo's balletic slow-motion heroic bloodshed was becoming clichéd, John Gaeta and Manek's visual effects gave the world a mesmerising perspective as individuals froze in mid-action and the camera's point of view swung around their fixed position. It might as well be a dramatic representation of an idea that is regularly reinforced in a lot of martial arts training. This is the fantasy we are presenting when we work too long with static targets and static training partners, or when we convince ourselves that we are immovable by the repeated behaviours of our training, when we fight in lines. Movement, as in full body travelling, is not prioritised enough across the board in most martial arts schools. In the pre-arranged fighting exercises, the partner playing the role of the antagonist makes a single movement and then freezes. Superficial critics laugh at the exaggerated pose made by the training partner, but this is more a symptom of the practice than its causal failure. Train students to attack in one single action in order for their partners to respond enough times and they will nurture unrealistic behaviours. The way the defending student will respond might as well be the hero in a bullet time sequence. This breeds unrealistic responses, such as more elaborate techniques and combinations. The compliant attacking partner will only move in the direction dictated by their training partner and so a feedback loop of the bullet time training model is reinforced. Travelling movement often gets added too late and therefore is only usually picked up properly by those with a natural aptitude or predisposition for its use. By not recognising and respecting its importance, we do our students and ourselves a disservice. Pre-arranged fighting exercises have their place of importance. We need some compliance to learn when to execute a certain technique or counter regardless of the context. However, this needs to be informed by both the natural way an attacker will move during the attacking phase and also when we respond. This is why drilling has to be overlapped early on before it gets fed into some resistance-based activity, be it specific sparring or a pressure test. When we hold focus mitts or any form of impact-absorbing target, there's a time for partners to stand still. This is usually to train single power or speed strikes or an isolated combination. It's a very specific service. The default should be movement. The coach holding the pads should move back after they receive a strike as an individual would when they are hit. This encourages the person striking to follow and continue the forward pressure. Within the context of a combat sport, the coach should present footwork patterns, encouraging the striker to do the same. Regardless of the situation, fights travel, and they travel far. Standing on the spot or just moving along tram lines to deliver progressively more advanced techniques reinforces an artificial idea about individual fighting. 
It comes from military drilling formations that were fed into school martial arts classes at the turn of the 20th century. A strong driver to create this method for training was to simply accommodate numbers and sometimes space restrictions. It served militaries well, especially infantry units over the centuries, who were often expected to move en masse across a battlefield. From a commercial club perspective, it enables the maximum number of customers to be present in a limited space of time. However, such methods are very limited in training the single fighter. Footwork and upper body mobility are essential areas of combat sport training. They're also often difficult for newcomers to grasp and therefore should be introduced as early as possible with the behaviour more time to bed in. Footwork not only builds a good defensive foundation for a fighter, helping to be more elusive, but it offers the proactive function of better manoeuvring into position. To move only to avoid is a shallow concept. We need to move in order to take advantage of our opponent or enemy. Footwork's attribute quality can also improve a self-defence student's tactical escape training. Fights move, so fighters need to be productive with their movement. None of this is to discount the importance of planting feet or immobilising an opponent or enemy. The problem is we don't balance stability enough with mobility. A fighter needs to know when to move and when to be still, and also to be aware of the same in their adversary. When we train and teach techniques... Our negligence to be mindful of these consistent truths can quickly descend into a type of wishful thinking and then self-justification. I'm being overly simplistic here, but it was natural for the great Aristotle and others to intuitively feel that the earth was the fixed point that everything else revolved around. When we train for too long without taking into account both the advantageous and antagonistic live influences of movement, it becomes very tempting to work off a false premise. Without realising it, we start to accept a dynamic where our adversary will freeze in time so we can act, or that our own planted posture will win out. Just as the Aristotelian view on physics aligned with a later medieval view that the Earth stood at the centre of the universe, a martial artist's combative ideal is mistaken for the probable. It's our job to keep checking and to keep thinking critically about how we are moving. If you'll forgive me, we need to do this in order to move forward in a productive direction. And if you can forgive me for saying that, may I push things a bit further by appropriating and paraphrasing a misappropriated term for our progressive martial artists. And yet, we all will move. In order of appearance, I'd like to thank the voice talents of... Christian O'Brien, Foreman's Karate and Fitness, Muncie, Indiana, USA. Michael Odersheed of Hostelbro Taekwondo Club in Denmark. Terry Monksfield of Dohi Dai Karate, London, UK. Susie Roberts of the Conversations on Karate podcast and book. David Cole of Tekio Kemper Martial Arts, Greys Essex, UK. Fleming Anderson of Hinnerup Karate, Denmark. Dara Brethnek of Navan Winchung in the Republic of Ireland, Ben Slack of Ryukan Shurinru Matsuri Dojo, Essex, UK, Mary Stevens of the Athena School of Karate, Oxford, UK, Vijay Pathak of the Forest Schools of Karate, Wellwyn Garden Centre, Hertfordshire, UK, and Tracy Radley of Curriton Practical Karate in Wivenhoe, Colchester, UK. Next episode, we travel back to the 14th of February 1951 for the conclusion of one of the greatest feuds in professional fight history, Their Bloody Valentine.
My other books, Wrong Foo and Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings, are also available through Amazon as both ebooks and paperbacks, and I'm also selling signed copies. These works are collections of rewritten and re edited essays I've produced over the last two decades. Wrong Foo is a prequel to my Bullshit Zoo and the Fight to Make Martial Arts Work project, which deals with critical thinking in the history of martial arts. Mordred's Victory and Other Martial Mutterings covers the 10 years I ran Club Chimera Martial Arts as a school. Nowadays, I teach private lessons, courses and seminars. These are bespoke services that put you in charge of your martial arts journey. I teach self-protection and martial arts cross-training. You can train with me one-to-one or in a small group. I count individual clients, couple clients, parent and child clients and various other combinations. These can be taught face-to-face or virtually. I also regularly teach clubs, societies and associations nationally and internationally. Please go to clubchimera.com for details. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Owltail or whatever podcast platform you're currently using. If you could leave me a five-star rating and a review, I would be really grateful. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and at long last, TikTok. Facebook also has a members group in addition to the main business page, so please send in a request to join in with the training discussions and be a part of the wider CCMA community. I'm also uploading new content to YouTube. There are various short videos, vlogs and full video versions of some of these podcast episodes on there as well as filming of my various lessons so you get an idea of the different services that I provide. Please check out the services section on the YouTube channel to find out more details on these individual services and suggestions for where you might want to take your training with me. Again, please subscribe, like, share and leave a comment. All favourable engagement on these platforms helps keep CCMA going. Now, I don't know where you listen to this show or watch or read any of the other free content I produce. My time to listen to podcasts usually occurs during dog walks or solo car journeys or when I'm undertaking some mundane task or other around my home. I watch videos when I'm in the kitchen. My reading time occurs when I'm in a waiting room or during a rest period at home. My guess is a good number of you will think nothing of buying a coffee or some other beverage when you're commuting or waiting or on your break. If you believe that the work I produce is worth the price of a coffee, then please click on support the show in this episode's show notes. Whether or not you choose to do this, my thanks to everyone who joins me on this Vagabond Warriors journey, and I look forward to sharing more travel notes with you all on the next show.